This is the Sea to Sky podcast, exploring what the Sea to Sky has to offer. Okay, welcome to another Sea to Sky podcast, and we're sitting here. We're still at the Whistler Film Fest, and I'm here with Sean Patrick Shaw and Kayvon Saremi. And Sean is the writer, sorry, director, producer, editor of FU, the Uvi Bull story, and Kayvon, of course, you're the co-producer. That's right. And also you did the music for it. That's right, yeah. Now, you have worked with Uvi. Uh, yeah, just as a crew member, I worked on his, uh, his film, Salt on Wall Street. Okay, and so that's sort of how you got to know him. Yeah, or at least I got to watch him from afar and see how he worked. Okay, so was... before we go any further, for those who don't know, let's talk about who is Uwe Boll. Um, to sum it up, Uwe Boll is widely considered the world's worst filmmaker. Um, if you ask him, that's, that's not the truth. Uh, and I think our documentary kind of looks at why that's not an easy statement to make. Right, but having said that, he's also done something I think about 30 plus features and he's worked with Oscar winners, Oscar certainly Oscar nominated. No, he's worked with Sir Ben Kingsley, yeah, ben Kingsley who's yeah. an Oscar winner. He's worked with big action stars like Jason Statham. Yeah, Ray Liotta, Burt Reynolds, J.K. Simmons. So, yeah, I mean, he says the, I mean, people say he might be the worst filmmaker in the world, but I don't know how many bad filmmakers, like, you know, the guy who did The Room, uh, Troll 2. I mean, we're talking about really <laughs> bad films. I mean, Uwe's actually worked with big budgets and big film stars. Yeah, and I mean, what's a bad film? It's hard to say uh, this film's bad, this film isn't bad. It's art, right? It's subjective. Um, but he, makes, he, he makes exploitation films. I mean, he makes action exploitation films. I guess it's, that's yeah. his genre. Yeah, that's his kind of wheelhouse. He's not trying to make uh, Tree of Life. Yeah. And yeah, so why do you think there is so much criticism for him? Why do because people really there are people that really hate him. Oh yeah, there are people that like despise him. If yeah. you go on the internet and Google his name, it's just uh, <laughs> filled yeah. with hate for him. Laden with internet trolls, it's yeah, it's pretty nuts. I think it's because he he never apologized for anything and would engage with all his critics. Okay. Um, both physically and uh, yeah, and, yeah. For, uh, again, for people that know, he's famous for challenging his worst critics to boxing matches. Not only challenge them, but beat the shit out of them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he is actually an amateur boxer, which helps. But yeah, <laughs> uh, so I think that um, both helped him get his name out there, that sort of stuff, and and hurt him. I think that'll follow him around forever. People will always be upset about that. So he's abrasive, but I mean, do you think that it's fair? I mean, there's lots of abrasive directors out there. There's lots of directors that um, certainly exasperate actors, but I think they're sort of known as being artists, quotation marks if you must, but uh, whereas he's, an, you know, he's making a genre film. So I don't know, for some reason, you, I don't know, you have to coddle actors, you have to apologize for making an exploitation film. Do you think that? I mean, I don't want words in your mouth, but is, is that part of it, you think? I don't know. It seems like he uh, he just made the films he wanted to make and was very aware of what they were. So when he made a film that was a video game adaptation, uh, for example, that didn't go over well, he would say in his press junk, it's, that movie's not good, you know? This actor wasn't good in it. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's just not how Hollywood works. Everyone works on garbage movies and then 
goes on press junkets talking about how important they are and how great it is and what a great production it was to work on. He is honest to a fault. Right. Yeah, I guess to a, to a fault, definitely. Yeah. Um, he is famous for doing video game adaptations. House of Dead, I think, got about 3% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> but ha, what do they know? <laughs> um, they told us to see Last Jedi, so, you know. Um, that, that's opening up a can of worms, I know. <laughs> the Last Jedi, but we won't go there. Um, he is a Vancouver-based filmmaker. You're not originally from Vancouver, but you're a Van- Vancouver-based filmmaker. And let's face it, a lot of not great movies to be the diplomatic and not great TV shows get produced in Vancouver. Yeah, I mean, well, we both work in the industry um, aside from our, our own productions, and uh, it's, you know, I'm not going to slag my job. I'm happy to have it. But it's, um, for the most part, a service industry, right? Like uh, L.A. productions are coming up here to work for cheaper. And uh, we kind of get whatever they give us. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, what's the difference between, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger doing six days or I'm sort of, I'm sort of purposely picking films you know a little more in the past so you don't <laughs> you don't step on any toes currently yeah, thank you but yeah there's been a lot of bad let's call them schlocky movies that have been filmed in Vancouver Vancouver kind of has that reputation and they're a big budget but then I think Ubi's done a 60 million dollar feature hasn't he yeah I think what was in the name of the kinks it was some astronomical number I think 68 I think yeah. he said uh, when all was said and done um I mean, if they're going to give him the money to do it, he would yeah, definitely take it. it and do it. Yeah, yeah why not? Yeah. And if it's okay for American productions to make these schlocky genre films, why isn't it okay for, for Uvi? I mean, he's originally German, but he's a Canadian immigrant, or he's a German immigrant to Canada, and he's giving people in the Vancouver film industry jobs. I mean, uh, I'm sure people are happy to take the paycheck. Oh, absolutely, yeah. He was hiring on the best uh, production teams there are in the city. Like, he was getting people from iRobot, like the stunt team from iRobot, to come on to uh, Dungeon Siege. And so he's getting all these amazing uh, technicians coming on to his shows, but it's, you know, they're yeah, same. all made well. They're all technically well made. Same <laughs> camera crews, same lighting crews that work on massive, you know, $100 million movies. Yeah. Uh, and they work on his films, but for some reason people have a problem with uh, his films and say they're technically poorly made, which if you watch an Uvable movie, it looks like any other movie. Yeah. They're, they're glossy, they're, they look nice. Yeah. As his budget's diminished, obviously that kind of um, affects the look of a film, but that's anybody, anyone who would make a... $68 million movie versus the $300,000 movie, the $300,000 movie's gonna look cheaper. Yeah. But um, I don't, in that regard, I don't think he's different than any other filmmaker. So, you had this peripheral uh, connection with, with him. You worked on, as you say, you worked on one of his productions, and I assume, Kayvon, you worked for him as well? I've never point? actually worked on any of his productions. Okay. Yeah, I've only kind of just gotten into the film industry in the last couple of years, and that was, you know, well after he has put his time into Vancouver and money in there. So. Okay, but and Sean, you've done a few documentaries now. You've got a few under your belt. And you seem to focus on these sort of quasi-celebrities, these people who are artists. You did one on the, I forget his name, the punk rock front band for... Chai Pig from SNFU. Okay. Shoutouts yeah. to SNFU. 
and uh, and you've done a couple others. What about these types of personalities attracts you? Um, with any of my documentaries, I always find it's a story that I don't necessarily know myself. So I kind of get into it, and if I find it really interesting, uh, and not like I have my finger on the pulse, and if it, you know if I've discovered this story, it must be some hidden story, but. If I come across it and it's interesting to me and I'm learning about it as I'm making it, that's a good production, right? So like I knew Uba's story on a surface level, but didn't know how he got there, uh, what it took to make 32 movies, you know, all his kind of backstory. You only know the surface headlines, worst filmmaker ever sort of thing. <clears throat> and same with Chai Pig or uh, I did one on Max Sennett, who's an old silent filmmaker, discovered yeah. Charlie Chaplin, etc. And uh, I didn't know much about him at all when I started that. Yeah, the Max Senate silent shorts, yeah. Yeah, then as you do the production, you kind of learn along. I, I like to say I learn along with the audience. I'm doing it about, you know, six months to a year before the audience. But I'm, I'm discovering the story as I'm going along, too. Okay. And you did you interview Uva for this project? Uh, yeah, we sat with him three, four times. Yeah, five times even. Uh, he was great. Super. He was, I was just going to say, was he as abrasive with you as he's been with other people? No. He was very charming, actually. Yeah, <laughs> like very the com complete yeah. opposite of what we expected. Yeah. I remember um, the first meeting, I was talking to my friend on the phone who knew Uva's story. And I was like, this is the kind of guy that might punch me in the face in his own restaurant that I was meeting him at if I say the wrong thing. I was really walking on eggshells. And within... Five minutes of talking to him, we were on the same wavelength. He was super nice to me, and uh, throughout the whole production, he was like very accommodating. Yeah. Right, and but then you've talked to, of course, other people that have worked with him, and generally, what was the response? Uh, well, we reached out to your uh, Ray Liotta's, your J.K. Simmons, your uh, you know all the big stars. Uh -huh. Nobody wanted to uh, revisit their time with Uva, um, but the the people that did talk to us were the people who had done multiple productions with them, uh, like Clint Howard, Michael Perry, uh, Keith David's in the film. Um, so yeah, like uh, established stars that. Um, what about Michael Madsen? Uh, Michael Madsen, I. <laughs> that's funny that you ask. I was going back and forth with his yeah. people and. They asked for money. I kind of have a policy of not paying any um, subjects in documentaries or any interviews. It kind of tarnishes the whole thing. And uh, they asked for money. And I was like, I kind of want this Michael Madsen interview. But I only offered him $100 US. Yeah. And then they stopped emailing me. <laughs> <laughs> for people who may not remember, Michael Madsen was the hitman, or actually the, the psycho gangster from uh, Quentin Tarantino's debut feature. Um, oh, now the, Mr. Blonde from Reservoir Dogs. Thank you. God, yeah. I was having a mental block there. Okay, so that would actually have been kind of interesting. I would like to have heard Mr. Blonde's take on Uva, Uva Bull. Yeah, that would but, be a great interview. Um, the people that you've talked to that have worked, I mean, there's a reason why I guess they work with them repeatedly. They, I mean, did, did they call them abrasive? But yeah, what the hell, you know, we get the movie made. That seemed to be the the draw for like a Clint Howard, Michael Perry. They like that he's super outspoken and works different than all these other directors, right? Like Clint Howard has been in over 200 productions. He's been acting since he was yeah. like a kid. That's Ron Howard's brother in case people don't know. He said Uva Bull is his favorite director to work with because it's just different. It's not the same old 
you know, wait in the trailer, come out, do your line, go back to your trailer, get paid at the end. It's like a circus working on a Nuvable movie. <laughs> it's always different. There's no rules, you know, you could shoot all day or you could shoot five hours. Like there's, it's just it completely breaks the mold. There is a one point in, uh, we talked about in the documentary where he made three feature films at the same time with the same sets in Croatia, which is crazy. That's like a, a crazy thing to attempt. And it, you know, he just saw it as, well, we have these sets. Why not do three movies? Yeah. yeah why, <laughs> why waste money? Now, some people have compared him to a legendary bad filmmaker, Ed Wood, which doesn't really seem fair to me because Ed Wood, he made, I think, maybe six movies, all of them extremely low budget. All I mean, they, they were bad, but they didn't get wide release. They were done on a wing and a prayer. It doesn't really seem a fair, and, he, and of course he never had any big stars. I mean, I, I mean, I guess aside from Vampira or Bella Lugosi, sort of. Um, is that a fair? I mean, to my I don't want to put words in your mouth. To my mind, that doesn't seem to be a fair comparison. But I mean, you know him much better than I do, and you know his 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 uh, resume much better than I do. I would say not just saying this because I want people to watch the documentary, but he truly is one of a kind. He cannot be compared to any other filmmaker. There's some comparisons to uh, Ed Wood or your Tommy Wiseau, but I mean, Tommy Wiseau's room is like uh, known because it's awful. Every line's awful. He wrote it himself. He acted in it and every element of it is bad. Yeah. Uh, and it's also, he's famous for one movie. Exactly. Mm -hmm. He made one movie that people call the worst movie ever. Uh, Ed Wood's movies are, it's almost like a, a different art form. It's like one guy in a camera kind of figuring it out. I know that Edward had a crew, but it was uh, it was just different. Uvo worked in giant movies with, you mm -hmm. know, hundred person crews and uh, would still do it like it was a him and a camera. Now, of course, Tim Burton did make a movie, did do a bio picture starring Johnny Depp about Ed Wood. You've, and there's been multiple documentaries about Ed Wood as well. This is, I'm guessing probably the first documentary about Uva Boll. Do you think somebody out there is going to do a film about him, a biopic about Uva Boll? There actually is another Uva Boll documentary that okay. came out in, I want to say 2010. Yeah, it was 2010. Uh, called Raging Bull. It's a really good documentary as well that focuses just on his boxing match and kind of his battles with critics. So I can't say I'm the only one doing it. And we just felt our, our story could bring a little bit more to his... You're covering, more, you're covering more of the man rather yeah, than just his one... Covering more ground and having a bit of closure on his um, career. But I, I could see someone doing a biopic of yeah, him one so, day because his, his story is so interesting. Who, who, do you, who would you see playing Uva if, if they made a biopic? I'm guessing probably not Johnny Depp. Who was that guy from the commish? Yeah, Michael, Michael Chick was, yeah. you know what, that's who I was Maybe that guy, yeah. yeah. That's funny. The commish, that's a deep reference. <laughs> Which was also filmed in Vancouver, so there'd be some synchronicity there. Yeah, that's right. Kayvon, what do you think? Who, who could play who could play Uva? I don't even know. It's a know. tough one. Say. To have to be able to do a great German accent. Yeah, I don't even know. Jason Statham, they got the bald heads going for them. That's right, yeah. Yeah, they do. <laughs> They do. They're both, and they're more athletic than you know. Michael Chiklis is a little, is a little bulkier. Yeah, that's where, right. You know, we want kind of more the lean, athletic look. So maybe, and Jason clearly knows. Uba. Has he only worked with him once though? Uh, 
Yeah, he only did one. Most of his big, like, A-list stars uh, did one film. Uh, I think Ray Liotta did two, but everyone else, I think, did one. Michael Perry has done, I think, 15. Yeah. What, what's, the, do you, what's the genesis of that relationship, and why has it gone on for so long? Just like the uh, Clint Howard thing, it's, they just like working with him. They mm-hmm. like him as a person. And if you're an, a working actor and you're working all year, every year, for 20 years, it's refreshing to walk onto a set and you're working with a friend and it's, it's yeah, a wild you ride. You know how it's going to go, generally. But, uh, yeah, and yeah. It's, uh, it's just more exciting. So they, they jump at it. Like Clint says in the film that he would work for scale any Uwe Boll movie, anytime. Like if he got the call, he would be on the next plane. Now, Sam Goldwyn was famous for his Goldwynisms, like uh, oral contract isn't worth the paper it's written on, and things of that nature. Are there any Uva-isms that come to mind? <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Yeah, everything he says is very quotable. There's some great lines in the movie. Yes, as we made clear, not a man that minces words. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I really can't think of a single example, but there are so many great quotes. Okay, so now, um, this, you don't have a release date yet, do you? I don't know how much I'm allowed to say. There's some paperwork floating around. Do you have, are you, where are you going after Whistler? Uh, we've got one in, uh, Spain. yeah, in Spain, we haven't really talked about that yet. Um, possibly one down under, I can't name the city yet. I have uh, a feeling Australians would probably like him, from what I've seen of Uva. Yeah, yeah, I did a, a great uh, Australian podcast interview. Because there's a huge, you know, there's a long history of genre films coming out of Australia. I mean, obviously Mad Max, but there were a lot of people don't realize that was actually an entire industry down there. Yeah, exploitation. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, when I see that, I kind of think I don't want to get too off topic here, but when I see that, that the government actually said, okay, we're not going to just make Picnic at Hanging Rock. We're going to just throw money out if filmmakers can put together a film and actually make money, which means probably an exploitation film, just, you know, have at it. And I kind of think, you know, that would be kind of refreshing for Canada, the Canadian film industry. Like, let's change the perception that we make. I'm sorry if I, if I wrinkle any feathers here, but boring films about, you know, dramas on the prairies, on the Winset prairies, and maybe make post-apocalyptic mutant films, you know? I think it's such a weird thing. If you ask anyone in the Canadian film industry, they'll say the same thing. Why are we making more interesting films? Why can't we compete with U.S. genre films? And yet it just doesn't happen. I don't know. It's the gatekeepers. Drama, drama, drama. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's the gatekeepers or the grant people or who, but... For some reason, somewhere along that chain, it's not happening, but it would be way more interesting if we could make some, you know, kind of more out there films. And not all of them are going to work. Some of them are going to fall in their face. Yeah. But then you get crazy movies like um, like Mandy came out, uh, you know, six months ago, which is a, I don't know if you've seen Mandy. But I haven't, no. It's like a insane Nicolas Cage, like heavy metal movie. I want to see it now. It's, oh, it's so crazy. It's, it's such a roller coaster. <laughs> but you watch it and you're like, I haven't seen a movie like this yeah. in years. Yeah. It's hard to find a Canadian film like that. You know what I mean? They, if they do well and have an uh, interesting sort of premise like that, it usually goes stateside. Right. Yeah. They, they, a, they find funding in the States and it becomes really an American movie. Yeah. yeah. Right. I think um, the gatekeepers in Canada are just uh, 
don't want to take the chance. Now, just to bring it back to Uva now, he, he rankles plenty of people in Hollywood, but do you think, uh, do you see more of that coming from the Canadian film industry, people that find him abrasive or unpleasant or whatever the criticism is, or do you see more of it coming from the U.S., or is it about, just sort of about equal? It's pretty yeah. much anyone that's yeah, met that's him. pretty <laughs> much anybody. <laughs> doesn't matter where you're from. <laughs> it's funny, the tons of people, like, um, you know, writers or whatever will do an interview with them, and it'll be the interview that they did 15 years ago that they still remember. No one meets Uwe Boll and forgets about it. It's, yeah. He's yeah. such an interesting guy and leaves such a like a impact on everyone he meets, good or bad. But what's funny is he has a successful restaurant in Gastown, so you know he's very much in the hospitality industry. So how does that work? I think the food is just good enough that it you know people overlook his. Uh, his reputation, personality. Yeah. But at the restaurant, he's like he was to us during the production. He's very, you know, he walks around, works the tables. He's super nice to everyone. So what the, restaurant is it? We might as well give him a plug. What the hell? Uh, Bauhaus in Gaston. Oh, okay, yes, I've eaten there. Yeah. yeah, is it great? It's 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 not bad. That's for sure. Yeah, we're still waiting on our free meal. Yeah, it ain't no. cheap. It'll yeah, be. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all, all the reviews of that restaurant are yeah. Like, through the roof. Everyone loves it. Yeah. There was talk of it getting a Michelin star. I don't know if that's yeah. still happening, but it's funny to transition from filmmaker a to brace that of filmmaker to, to gracious host. Yeah. Restaurateur. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's funny to see him kind of work the restaurant and go around and shake hands at tables. And some people are there because it's Uba and they want to meet this filmmaker. And then they meet him and they're like, oh, this is the nicest guy ever. He's filling up my yeah. water for me, you know. <laughs> but he also hasn't given me money to do <laughs> anything for him. So there's no, like, you know, he's yeah. holding that hammer over your head being like, get it from your gun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's just, uh, if you're not in business with him, then it's uh, it's just your average guy. Yeah? It begs the question, though, if he's pissing off so many people, how is he able to secure all this financing for these films? That is the, the million-dollar question. Yeah. Or multi-million dollar question, as <laughs> yeah. yeah. it, it may be. Dollars. And the, I think we kind of answer that in the film a little bit. They're successful in their own way. Like, I, I think... So they are making money. They're not uh, going to keep make, giving them money for movies if they're not making money. Yeah, I think a fair amount of them made money. He was, um, he was using a German tax loophole mm-hmm. where um, if, you, if you made a million dollars in a year, you're losing 500000 to taxes... If you take that million dollars and invest it in a film, you don't have to pay taxes on it. I asked him that question. I said, "How do you, how do you keep getting these bad reviews and keep raising the money?" And he said, "Because my invent or my investors are dentists. They don't watch movies." <laughs> Which is, it's true. It's just yeah, uh, they don't care. Yeah, they just and then see the return. They're getting half the money back right away because of the tax. And then if the movie does make money, then it's a a great investment. Mm-hmm. And do you think that's part of the resentment? Because I know plenty of filmmakers that, you know, even if they've got a few films under their belt, they are still struggling to get financing and not much. We're talking about maybe one or two million dollars to put their film together. And here's this guy who apparently everybody says they hate, yet he's doing 32 features and yeah, you know, he's, always, he's always getting the financing. I think that speaks to his producing skills. Yeah. He's yeah. such a skilled producer. Yeah, and I think when he did House of the Dead, uh, that movie made such a great return on it, and that was the first venture into video games that kind of started his reputation. First video game adaptation ever, I think. Yeah. And how many how many has he done now? 
on the video game adaptation. Like eight or nine or something. Yeah, yeah under ten, there. but <laughs> something. Yeah, maybe ten. Yeah. I, I liked I liked House as a it, sorry I liked the video game I actually haven't seen the film but I remember being in Vancouver when that was being made because I did like the video game and uh, I didn't get to see it but I actually did want to see it just out of curiosity yeah. it gets panned by the critics it's like you know <laughs> yeah. under five percent on Rotten Tomatoes but Rotten Tomatoes isn't funding movies right they're just reviewing that's right them. and so, they also told us to see Last Jedi sorry I gotta yeah. get that. <laughs> But um, if he, I think he made that movie for, I'm kind of guessing at the numbers here, but I think he made that movie for 10 million and it got 30 back. Your investors don't care if uh, reviewers liked it or not. And they it, see triple the money right. and they say, yeah. when can we do the next one? Yeah, and they'll probably keep pushing for the video game movies because they saw the return. So he's yeah, he, like, keep doing it. Keep he doing didn't it. want to make those video game movies, but just kept doing them because... Are you going to raise money or put your own money into it, or are you going to spend some video game studio's money and make another film? As long as they keep making money, your your career stays afloat. And that movie featured zombies, and it actually came out just ahead of the zombie craze, which doesn't seem to ever want to end. It came out even before the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's ahead of ahead of the curve on that one as well. And uh, and adapting video games is impossible. That I don't. I can't think of one successful video game adaptation movie. They all get panned by the critics. Most lose money. Was that Warcraft that just came out? Yeah, yeah, Warcraft. Well, it was big in China. Uva made a lot of money overseas. Yeah. Yeah, he has sold his movies in almost every territory. Right. Which is, like, impressive. So he's said that he retired in 2016, but he is actually still producing. I'm not sure how involved he is in those... Okay. ...in in producing. I know he still has his... um, his production company and uh, distribution company, and they, yeah, they. So we may films. still yet see another Uwe Ball uh, directed film. It's not. He said he's retired, but it's a. I guess it's a retirement yeah. with a question mark. It's. It could still happen. What about? What about this? What about the Uwe Ball biopic directed by Uwe Ball? I don't know if that would be in the right hands. It definitely wouldn't be as, uh, you know, as even handed. Yeah. Is at the helm. Yeah. But he uh, he says that he'll come back to filmmaking if he's spending someone else's money, right? He doesn't want to, and he's a smart businessman, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't want to lose money on it. But if, you know, Netflix gave him money to make a movie, he would do it. But I don't think they're going to do that. Judging on what Netflix is making these days, yeah, I seriously doubt it. But yeah. uh, but who knows? There's that Shutter, that terror stream, streaming yeah. channel mm-hmm. maybe he could do something for them yeah I think he would do it again he likes filmmaking loves the filmmaking world but um, he made most of his money on back end DVD sales international DVD sales and that market's gone right. so his career kind of went with it yeah I hope to see your film uh, so please let us know when uh, when it, I guess it's probably going to be re- probably not a theatrical release. Probably going to be it's probably going to be end up on a streaming service. I mean I I'm just speculating here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean it'll be at a few festivals here and there uh, as they trickle in. This is our first festival, so we have hopefully more to come. And, and if people want to find out more about this, because we'll put the links in the description, where can people find out information about? This film, uh, PrairieCoastFilms.com is my website that I rarely update, but with uh, big information like that, I update. My Instagram is at PrairieCoast. 
There's a Facebook page, Prairie Coast Films. And uh, yeah, as things develop, I kind of post it there. And hopefully we get some sort of a Yeah, you can also uh, find the trailer is online on YouTube. Uh, you know, if you just search up. F you the UV ball uh, yeah. story. And it is just It'll watch the right trailer. Out. I'm sure you'll find it interesting. That alone is is uh, pretty, pretty interesting filmmaking right there. So guys, oh. thanks so much for sitting out. Sorry, you wanted to say one I was going to say uh, the F stands for fucked. <laughs> we, we didn't really we didn't really get we were that. trying to avoid the f-bomb the whole interview and he has to like throw it in at the last second well, way to a, go Sean it's an interview did about you not, did you not get the cue that I wasn't using it did that not maybe clue I in just that thought, eh, maybe we want to keep it family friendly as much as possible I thought maybe the listeners didn't know they thought it was like frig you all or something yeah. they just gotta be able to find it online you know alright we, we won't edit it out we'll leave it in what the hell? We want to keep it original. Okay, guys, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks Thank for having you. us. And this has been Sea to Sky Podcast. This is the Sea to Sky Podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at seataskypodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Sea to Sky Podcast. Thank you for clicking us on.